The Song Confessional Podcast is a co-production of KUT, KUTX Studios, and Good Taste Society. Hey, this is Walker Lukens, and you are listening to... Let me explain to you what we do here at the Song Confessional. So we collect anonymous stories, right? We get them from all over this mixed up, muddled up, shook up world. And we give our favorite of these stories to songwriters and bands who turn them into new original songs. On this podcast, you're going to hear the, the confession, we like to call them, that inspired the song. You're going to hear the new song and you're going to hear an interview with the songwriters who wrote it. I'm sitting here with my favorite little dirty Catholic priest. Tell them your name. What's up, everybody? I'm Zach Catanzaro. Zach, we are on our second episode of this five-episode mini-season called Late Checkout. What the hell is this mini-season about? Each episode features a brand new song inspired by a confession given at our permanent confessional booth in the Valley Lobby at Hotel Magdalena. That's right. The Hotel Magdalena uh, off South Congress uh, commissioned a permanent confessional booth. You can go in there any time of day and tell us whatever the hell you want. And we select our favorite confessions and give them to songwriters and bands. Uh, This hotel also is helping us run an artist in residence program where we put artists up at the hotel and they write a song for us inspired by one of these confessions. Some of our first artists in residence were Austin Mainstays, Sabrina Ellis, and Andrew Cashin. You might know those two from their two main projects, uh, Sweet Spirit and A Giant Dog, but they both do many different projects. Andrew releases solo records under his own name, Andrew Cashin. Sabrina Ellis is a force of nature who has done all sorts of collaborations. Uh, I'm not going to list them all here, but I will tell you about their DJ project called Casparella that they do with Caleb DeCasper. Uh, they, I, okay, I'll just tell you my real story. I was on hallucinogens wandering around Red River during the mirage of last summer when it <laughs> felt okay to be out in public because we believed vaccines worked. And I stumbled into Cheer Up Charlie's and saw them DJ and had the absolute best time ever. And I want that for you. So Sabrina and Andrew were actually part of this program before the booth was fully finished. So we brought the trailer, posted out front of Hotel Magdalena, and kind of did it old school. And kind of the fun part about this was that Andrew and Sabrina were actually outside of the trailer, just kind of like soliciting people and trying to sell them on the whole idea. It was cool because people didn't realize that they were the artists who would turn it into songs. So they just took them in as two drunk people saying, hey, get in my trailer. Yeah, you'll hear a little more about that later in Walker's interview with Andrew and Sabrina. But first, you got to hear this confession. Just a little warning for you guys. This confession does involve Catholic priests and sex. It's very fun and lighthearted. But if that's a little triggering for you, then I suggest you skip this and go straight to the song. Without further ado, here's our confession. Confession. Yeah, you can start. I might interrupt you to ask some clarifying questions, but okay. just just go for it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So um, uh, I was actually 17 years old, studying abroad in Rome. This was the first time that I had left the United States. Uh, I uh, actually started college when I was young, 16, because I accelerated uh, school when I was a kid. So I entered college when I was 16, and by 17, I was in studying abroad in Rome. I turned 18 that summer. And so I was um, exploring my sexuality. I was 
Um, you know, it was exciting to be in Rome. Lots of attractive men out there. And um, I was doing this um, summer study program of the history of the Catholic Church. Um, what's it? And I could get college credit for that mm-hmm. instead of taking Texas history here at the University of Texas. <laughs> so it's either history of the Catholic Church in, in Rome mm-hmm. and speaking to priests at the Vatican and like getting to know about the, the politics of that or Texas uh, government and <laughs> structures. Mm-hmm. So obviously I went for that. Yeah. And because uh, the program was about the Catholic Church, I had to live close to Vatican City. Um, um, and um, there's this main avenue that uh, uh, get, I think goes south of Vatican City, and there was this one bus that would take me from my apartment to the Vatican. And, you know, I would just stay on there. And because of it was on the main avenue south of the, uh, of, of the Vatican, it would get a lot of priests there. Mm. About... Um, two weeks into the program, I start noticing that um, a lot of the priests are standing in weird positions. And, um, you know, there were some young ones, some probably about 25 years old. And um, what's it? They, um, as somebody that was, you know, sexually curious, the first thing I would look at in men is their crotch. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so there were, um, and then I noticed that some of these, like, priests would rub their crotch against the poles that they used to hold onto on the bus in such a way that you could tell that they were trying to like getting an erection and they would make eye contact with you. <laughs> and, <clears throat> and so I read about, and then out of curiosity, I read about this online and the bus route, I forget the route, but the bus route was known for having gay priests that were cruising and looking for, you know, a little action. And so, <clears throat> and so, um, as, and there I was. I mean, I'm not. I don't think I'm like an, an ugly guy, so I, I would attract a lot of uh, of these men. And to, they came up to a point where I would, uh, you know, just stand on the bus and uh, take it to the end, get back on, uh, head east, and then you know, stay there for 20 minutes, and then get off and uh, get on the one going the opposite side, just to be cruising and see what I could find. <laughs> oh my God, that's amazing. <laughs> and so, so the way the 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 way the flirting happened was. Um, you, I would sit down, and then I would, um, and there was like a pole that would go from the chair up to the ceiling of the bus, uh-huh. and then um, I would, uh, you know, get close to uh, the aisle, and then the priest would rub their crotch on my shoulder, and so basically I would stimulate them with my shoulder, and sometimes I'd lay my hand in front of the the bus seat in front of me. And then uh, they would rub their crotch and, um, um, uh, and on my hand. And so, you know, <laughs> they rubbing, 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 would feel their dicks getting harder and harder and harder. Uh, but one time, um, what the, the bus was so empty that uh, so some, the priests have, like, these big robes that they have buttons underneath. Mm-hmm. So you could slide your hand in there mm-hmm. and then start feeling their skin. Mm-hmm. And so this guy, like, whipped out his dick. Uh, <laughs> and then um, before I knew it, I was jacking off a priest in Rome. In, um, in a fucking bus. In a fucking bus uh, <laughs> by the Vatican. That is and, amazing. And so um, I... I don't know if he came or not, but um, um, what's it? Uh, it's I, I got so scared uh, because remember I was I was, I was um, only um, I already turned 18. I feel like I need to clarify that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, 
uh, you know, some people got on the bus and, you know, I whipped my hand out, uh, but the, the guy clearly still had a boner sticking out of his, um, well, like, poking through his His rope. rock, yeah. Wow. Um, and, and, and that was that, and that was uh, my summer 2008 in around politics of the Catholic Church. Oh my god, that's amazing. <laughs> And now here's Father Lonely by Kashandra.
I love how they took a subject that could be considered maybe a little dark or taboo and just kind of pumped it full of love and made it about acceptance and just being who you are and being okay with that. It's just fucking awesome take on that whole scenario. You know, Andrew and Sabrina talked, uh, they talk about making this song in the interview. And uh, the thing that they latched onto was that this confessor felt no shame. Mm-hmm. And, you, and you get that vibe in the song, which you will hear them describe in the interview really well. Uh, when they recorded this song, you know, they went into the studio with with Jim, you know, over at Public Hi-Fi and Grant Epley was assistant in engineering and um, they just knocked it out. You know, these are these are two musicians who've made a ton of records. A lot of records. They're total pros in the studio. Something to look forward to that you'll hear at the end of this interview is some voice memos from them writing the song. Which is really fun because you kind of, they take you through a few of them. So you hear it as literal mumbles and clicks and beeps <laughs> like, that's a song and then you slowly start seeing them craft a melody and craft some lyrics and it's it's just a really nice inside take on how a writer's process can work sometimes well here we go interview interview interview, interview. who am i sitting in here with andrew cashin and sabrina ellis and uh, how might how might people know you? Uh, giant dog, mm-hmm. sweet spirit, Kashandra. <laughs> Is this the first uh, song that y'all have ever put out together that's not in either of those bands? Mm, no. I Released, published. I think so. Yeah. We've had to. We've made some things together that are unreleased, like the Kit Kat thing. <laughs> yeah. You want to hear that? Oh, no. <laughs> I haven't listened to that in a while. What was the Kit Kat thing for? A Kit Kat commercial. Uh, we got an opportunity to do and got passed on. Ooh. We demoed for a Kit Kat. And, and you got, it got passed on. Yeah. Rejected. But yeah. we did we did like what twenty different versions or something like that. We did a few. Yeah. I think we did three. Probably felt like. 20. But like, well, yeah, it was like three, but like with a bunch of edits. Um, that was a a dumb plant because I obviously have known you guys for a very long time, like a really long time. Like I think I met you, Andrew, when I was sixteen years old. Yes. So I have known you and known you as a musician for like over half my life. Yeah. That's crazy. How long have y'all known each other? Since we About were the same 16. Time. Yeah. You went to high school together. Mm. Me and Sabrina used to hang out at Java Jazz back in the day. Mm-hmm. Java Jazz, North Houston hub of... Um, Creativity. High art culture. Yeah. It's... But, okay, so, but for people who aren't from Houston, that is a venue in North Houston. Is it uh, still no, a venue? No, I think it went under. Oh, it's not there anymore. Yeah. Okay, but when we were growing up. Yeah. Okay. Yes, it was a Christian-owned venue. Yes, they no would alcohol. give us um, sugary, like syrup drinks that were called smoothies, but they were more like Seven yeah. Eleven slushies. Yeah, and then we pour beverages, adult beverages, into those. Yeah. Oh, y'all would do that. Y'all were, uh, you were pouring booze. Mm. Maybe it's because I was driving from like inside Houston, but we didn't we didn't get drunk at Java Jazz. Yeah. Yeah, that would be risky. I guess we were. North Houston people. Mm. One time, 
I thought it would be generous of me to um, feature my cleavage in a flyer for one of their shows, and their band was called We Beasties. So we this had Sharpie, yeah, mm-hmm. we had Sharpie We Beasties onto <laughs> my cleavage, my underage cleavage. Jesus. And we had photographed it oh. and printed it on flyers and handed it out. And then um, it was a great show. Everybody had a great time. And then the next day was kind of a tech rehearsal for Little Shop of Horrors that I was in. And um, I was in the dressing room with my mom. She was helping me change into my Audrey costume, mm-hmm. which involved a lot of cleavage. And I obliviously Under-aged just... cleavage. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, y'all. I just got done watching Euphoria. It's like, yeah. I know those actors are all about 30, but yeah. that's a lot of underage ass. Yeah, that's true. Imp- totally. And I, I had that same thought. Yeah. <laughs> so I threw off my underage shirt <laughs> and my mom goes, hmm, we beasties. That's lovely. I hope that's not a tattoo. <laughs> that was it, though. Yeah. yeah. Did did she see the flyer? No, I didn't explain to her that it was for art's sake. Mm-hmm. And also, this is before the internet was like. Yeah. Literally, yeah. we went to Kinkos and. Oh yeah, I remember. Yeah. yeah. But so y'all met y'all met in high school, mm-hmm. and you formed your first bands. Then you started writing together. Then we weren't writing. No, uh, I think musically the first thing we did was a. Homecoming was it? Homecoming dance. We we played a couple um, like smaller dances, like yeah, orchestra yeah. banquets, to gear up for the homecoming dance. Yeah, and um, we dressed kind of like Mighty Mighty Boss Tones meets No oh. Doubt. Yeah, but we played um, kind of most of the soundtrack of Back to the Future was kind of our axis. Yeah, of our taste, which we thought the kids would love. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Didn't love. No, 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 no. <laughs> All the chaperones who were like way in the back were just like, hell yeah. Like, yeah. I love Joan Jett. And all the kids in front were just like, when's a DJ coming on? Like, <laughs> there were a few like theater kids who were just like, this is my shit. Yeah. But, and so what were we all performing now? Do you remember the name of the band? Yeah. What was it? Youth in Asia. Oh my God, I remember. So you play in this band, Euthanasia. You're doing covers. Mm-hmm. When did y'all like figure out that and you could write other together? other members of the band, so it was me and Andrew, and then, um, I don't know if you know Jason Smith. He Sounds was in familiar. Obi and Threes. And he plays in with TV's, TV's Daniel, Daniel now. Mm-hmm. Great guitar player. And, and then on drums was Orville, who was our first drummer in a giant dog wall. Yeah, Basically. effectively so. Yeah. And um, when did we write our first song together? That was that happened in Austin when we were already about 20. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like 2008. Yeah. I had moved to Austin and Andrew was coming and going a lot and still living in Houston. And I had um, I had started writing some songs by myself with an acoustic guitar and was recording them onto a tape deck. And... Andrew was writing songs in Houston with his band, Electric Shoes. Yeah. And my friend, our friend Olick, um, was on a trip to see me 
and ended up taking one of my tapes back to Andrew, I think. And then Andrew's like, oh, I didn't realize you were writing. We should try to write together. And then we ended up, like, getting drunk and exchanging songs. And then it just happened more and more frequently. And at that time, I remember that the OCs were touring through a lot. Like, they were just hustling and... Ty Siegel was opening for them as a one-person band. Mm -hmm. I remember that kind of framing the experience, like going to see this young Ty that was like our age, being like, oh, cool, this is... Playing on the floor at Beerland. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And yeah. Strange Boys yeah. were playing. He used to go see Black Joe Lewis at Continental. Black Joe Lewis. Mm -hmm. What's the... Do, Different answer probably for both of you, but what's the first thing you remember writing that you were like, this is good. I like this. I think it was a song called Down and Out. Yeah. Yeah. That one was the first one that felt like appealing. Yeah. Something that people besides us might like. It made one of our friends cry when we played it for him. Wow. Like you played it for him Which at one? a show? Oh. No, in a studio. Mm. And he cried. Mm-hmm. Damn. So, and we were young to be crying in front of each other. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, totally. Your walls are up. You're like... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You like emotional music. You both like it, but you don't cry. Yeah. You don't cry with each other. Like how... how I guess it's been what? Like 15 years since you started writing together? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. What's the key to longevity for the two of you? Oh, no. I think I'm kind of a pushover, and that's why we've lasted as long as we have. <laughs> I'm really trying to evolve out of that. Yeah. Yeah. The uh, I talked to that band Chick Chick Chick. They've been a band for like almost 30 years. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, "How have you stayed a band this long?" And he was like, "Well, we get a new member every like three years or so." And, he's and that's like, pretty he's common. Like, he's like, "We're basically just a different band." Yeah but we get to play the same songs because it's like the core. Mm -hmm. I was like, that's such an honest answer and a real answer, you yeah. know? Yeah. And not something you think about when you're like 16 and playing in bands. You're like, oh, I'm going to start a band and it's going to be the same band forever. Like, Yeah. Yeah, you're going to get new members in. I mean, I imagine for you guys too, it's like part of the reason that you have written together for so long is that you just keep doing it. Yeah. You know, there's not some sort of like overarching big reason why it does it not. So you just keep doing it. It's yeah, like a lot of I've heard somebody stuff. else say that like in an interview of like yeah how have you guys been a band for so long and they're just like we just didn't stop we just didn't <laughs> like that's quit. the secret yeah. <laughs> like yeah 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 when other bands are broke and mm -hmm. life seems like it's not in the right place to have a band they stop yeah <laughs> can i play you some clips oh, yeah. of our process please sure uh play this one Oh, this is going to be embarrassing. <laughs> I hear it. I hear that. I hear it. I don't hear it. Oh my God, that's amazing. <laughs> I hear it. I hear that. Oh my God, that was amazing. I hear you. Oh no. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> 
like a barbershop? I don't know, but I'm totally waiting for you each time for the ball, ball. Like, I can't proceed without it. So I think it's the um, sub bass. I have another one, but... Do it. Okay. I don't know which, already let which the, is which. the cat out of the bag. It'd be like... It's getting a little more developed. not funny but uh, yeah the point is it's supposed to get less and less <laughs> funny yeah and more song sounding so a year ago we did this you guys came and you did this artist in residence program and we were just kind of drunk in robes for a couple days so i remember it's been a minute since then mm-hmm. does it feel any different now like reapproaching your projects than it did a year ago mm. Because really. I, I feel like at the time it was sort of like the end of a break is how it sort of felt. It, I mean, it did. It brought me and Andrew back together for writing for the first time in about a year because the previous year we had been writing our A Giant Dog album. Mm-hmm. And I think writing the A Giant Dog album both inspired and taxed us. Mm-hmm. Um, we were also simultaneously trying to write a TV show that's attached with this concept album. Wow. Which we had never yeah. done before. Whoa. We were just like elbow deep in it, in this world, um, artistically together. And then we separated for a bit. And then you brought us back together at the hotel. And I feel like the way we wrote at the hotel honestly reminded me a lot more of how we're used to writing together than when we were just really honing in on this concept. Mm-hmm. Because we were we were honing in on the concept, we were pouring over each and every lyric, we were trying to make it the best thing we've ever written. Yeah. Every little part of it was like meticulously thought out, mm. from the song titles to the, the order of the songs. The to, yeah. yeah. Do you want to tell the us what the concept point? is? You can say no, but no. I don't think it's not time. It's too soon. It's, yeah. it's, too, soon. it's too soon. Okay. Yeah. Um. But we can say. It's a dystopian, not so distant future. About virtual reality. Virtual reality. Sick. Yeah. Okay, cool. All right. Um, what do you what do you remember about this confession? What was this confession about that inspired your song? The thing that I remember or liked the most about it was getting the dude to do it. Cause he had he had almost passed. Ah. Uh, Oh shit, that's right. So you yeah. guys were out there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah, which was fun. Okay. It was fun trying to get people like to stop and mm-hmm. I didn't know art I other artists didn't do that. I th- no, definitely not. Yeah. No. I had a blast. We were hawking. Yeah. And I, wa- you- I wanted some juicy stuff. Yeah. Okay, so so what was the confession? What was the, well, uh, the story? So he walks by in silky Pants that have M- two MC cans. Hammer pants? Yeah, they're hammer pants <laughs> with two cans all over them. Yeah. Tivas, a tucked in shirt, a little purse on a chain. Oh my God. And And we pitch. We pitch to yeah. him as he's walking by of just like, hey, this is what it is. 
Yeah. Like, and he says, oh, I wish I had time because if I, if I did, I'd stop in and tell you about how I jacked off a priest in the Vatican when I was a teenager. And this is, this is as he's like... Not a minor, but, you know. Yeah, this yeah. is as his boyfriend's like dragging him away <laughs> to do whatever errand they needed to do. Uh-huh. And his boyfriend was just like, we don't have time. And we like, all we go... Like, we do not have time. We all go... Stop! You have to turn around, like please. Yeah. Wow. And yeah, through our enthusiasm, he's like, "Okay, I'll do it." Like, yeah, yeah. kind of, just kind of. uh, Let me get this over with. Like, I'll humor you. Yeah. Yeah. Then went in. Not to say everybody else's like confessions weren't. There were other good ones, but we could tell that 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 dude that little statement it was like it's gonna be good it's amazing we were gonna write a song about it even if he didn't stop and give a confession like i was gonna ask you that because i as i recall you you kind of had a choice of which one you wanted to do and y'all chose this one which felt totally in that you were gonna write a song about it either way (laughs) yeah i think like two more people came in and gave confessions and i just was sitting there like i didn't even hear the confession but i was like we're gonna do that one yeah yeah I think the thing that I've kind of learned about people that I didn't really, I didn't learn this about people. I just didn't really appreciate it is that everyone's walking around with like these really heavy things, you know, all of us are. And for some people, they, something like this just makes them want to put it out, you know? Yeah. And so I wonder sometimes what it's like when you're not, you know, you don't, write songs or you don't write or paint, you don't have an outlet. Like what, what is the moment where you get to talk about this in your life? You don't go to church and actually confess like, yeah. I mean, I mean, maybe that's it. I, I don't know if I'm making any sense, but I just think that's fascinating. It's like, Oh, this is just like below the surface. I think people tell their Therapist. bartender, their mm-hmm. hairdresser, therapist but well yeah the therapist but yeah you're right people do hold on some people have like that deep dark secret yeah that they'd never tell and i think i don't know where where you store your shame is where your anger and confusion and and stress and sadness can get really out of control Mm -hmm. and they say like shining a light on a monster makes it less scary yeah, I think um, so. So it is scary to think about what would be such a deep secret that somebody couldn't, you know, say it to their partner yeah, um, or their therapist. Um, yeah, or and even if it's not like, um, I mean, 99.9% of things are like totally universal. Someone else has had a similar thing. Maybe you haven't jerked off a priest, but you can relate to the feeling of like, you know, something that feels sexy because it's, because it's bad. Right. Like, I mean that to me in the confession, that's kind of the like thing to take from it is like, he figured out like, Oh, all these priests are good. Get on this bus and like, you know, yep. cruise like mm-hmm. that part's really, I, I guess it's all it says like, I just think it's fascinating that people hang on to this stuff and then something makes them want to bring it out. And sometimes in the confession, like professional booth, people do tell us this stuff and I'm like, damn, you're walking around at a music festival just, like, waiting for Mumford & Sons to go on, and then you see this, and you're like, actually, I want to talk about 
why I moved all around all the time as a kid, you know? Mm -hmm. I don't know. I think that's fascinating. I I have those things too, I think, but it's just a little different when you write about it when you're an artist or something. Our subject in the trailer had no shame about his confession. He was confessing something that, you know, it sounded like something he would say to his bros or bring up in a game of I've never. Mm -hmm. And... And that gave us a nice angle, I think, for composing the song because the shame element of the song was, you know, the idea of a a priest who is this kind of anonymous character in the song breaking their, you know, vow of abstinence. Um, In front of a bunch of other priests on a bus. Yeah. And and so. (laughs) Basically, in the general public. (laughs) And our song is about anti shame. It's about don't be ashamed, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, It's it's hard. It's abstract for. I'll, I'll speak for myself and not for both of us, but you tell me if you agree. It's abstract for me to um, write about a religious parameter because to me that's such a construct of like that humans have put on other humans Mm -hmm. to me it's a mythology i i don't mean to disrespect people's belief in the things they live their life for but it's very abstract to me because Mm -hmm. um it doesn't determine to me it's not a basis of judgment that i ascribe to Mm -hmm. so um it was i don't know i think it's really easy for us and for our subject to be like, okay, let's do these sh- shameful things and let's say, hey, don't be ashamed. Mm-hmm. And and then we were tongue-in-cheek using the, the Christian verbiage of forgiveness, like, you know, like, do your confession, say your Hail Marys, and that really naughty thing you just did on the bus, mm-hmm. God's going to understand. Like, yeah. <laughs> well, so the, so- the song is more about the priest then? then. No. It's from the perspective of the um, student, our subject, who Mm -hmm. was 18 or 19 and doing a study abroad Mm -hmm. in Rome. Yeah. Um, It's it's him addressing the priest. Word. Okay. Oh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense now. Also, the thing I like about the story was everything was consensual. You would think a story about jerking off a priest may have gotten a little dark but mm-hmm. there was nothing dark about it he was like laughing the whole time he like yeah adult yeah. human sexuality yeah 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 i mean it, you're right it, it, he isn't ashamed at all right. the confessor isn't at all and it is consensual mm-hmm. which is partially what makes it such a fun yeah. confession and not yeah not dark but if you gave a 10 second pitch about <laughs> the yeah, confession it real bad. Like, hey, i don't know if i want to listen to that <laughs> yeah. like that's the other thing I think about with this confession. It's like, why do you become a priest? Well, I think that it's a calling. It's uh-huh. a deep, deep calling that might defy rationality. In, I mean, this is going to sound pretty narcissistic, but in the same way that being an artist, it really defies rationality. Like, growing up, you know that people who choose to be an artist are in for a struggle, and yeah. that if there's an easier route you'd want to take it. And I think that for someone with a spiritual calling, it's really similar. It's like, yes, I am going to make these sacrifices. Yes, I am going to give up these carnal pleasures. Um, and the, 
And it's because deep within my psyche and deep within the things that make me a, a human with a soul, mm -hmm. I'm called to do this. And there will be some kind of reward. Yeah. That's a nice way to think about it too. Cause I guess the, what I was, when I asked it, what I was thinking about was why would you become a priest when your kind of sexuality is then sort of becomes this really taboo thing. You're only doing it on a bus, yeah. but, but yeah. it is a really deep calling. And you I just feel sort like of, that develops. And, and you just sort of deal with it. Yeah. I think you just deal with all the things that go along with doing it. to be a priest it. also have a really deep intellectual curiosity about mm -hmm. themselves and about the world. And I think that we can kind of compare it to like aesthetic belief systems where um, giving like to go beyond what our human perception of reality is, we do have to have this deep intellectual curiosity and this deep spiritual curiosity. I'm mm -hmm. not saying that everybody has it. I'm saying like, it seems irrational to give up so much for that, but mm -hmm. maybe when you're not focusing on sex, mm -hmm. you are delving further into your other intellectual capacities. Yeah. Maybe, I don't know, I've never tried it. Yeah. Don't want to try yeah. it. <laughs> and then the shame of sneaking around to masturbate with other men or to jack off other men. <sighs> Honestly, like, yes, it would be really painful to be closeted and hiding who one is, but there's a lot of people in this world and in this life that don't want to partner down. Like, mm -hmm. for them, it's actually satisfactory to just be satiated and kind of move on from it. I think I understand what you're saying. And, and I think it is also fascinating, too, like, you have this greater calling and you ha you're getting all these other things yeah. met. Like, Get the that come might... out, make room for more God. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, that's the end. That's the perfect way to end That's what the bus driver like said. really weird Metallica album oh name. God. Get the come out, make more room for God. That's I, I really uh, appreciated that Sabrina and Andrew didn't, um, they could have just written a smutty song and I would have, I would have been here for that. Absolutely. But instead they really crafted something that was, um, you know, found a, a kind of universal theme to pull out of this confession. And I think the song's amazing. I, I agree. It's a really catchy song. It's. Yeah, like you said, it's got it's got something that feels really universal and feels relatable. I, I would have no idea what that song was about if I just listened to the song, mm -hmm. and I would be probably singing along, not realizing that I was talking about a penis throbbing in my hand. Exactly. <laughs> I have a song where I talk about the male genitalia, and my mom, I caught her listening to that song one time, and I was like, I can't believe you like this song where I say the word dick. And my mom uh, just said, well, I just pretend that didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so good. I love that. Just just gloss over that section just real quick. <laughs> a really good case study for uh, you will be proud of your children, whatever they do. And also that melody is more important than what you're saying. Another part of their interview that really stuck with me um, was when you guys posed the question of why would anybody ever become a priest? Mm -hmm. Funny question, because until I was probably 13, I mean, that was probably top of the list with doctor and cop, you know? Oh, yeah? 
I was an altar server. I've mentioned that a couple times. You know, I did the music ministry. I did retreats. I did all that kind of stuff. And I was definitely like they were trying to recruit me to join seminary and they float all these good little things like, oh, scholarships and, you know, you get free housing and all your meals are paid for. And I, I think a lot of it is when you're young and naive, it feels comfortable and safe. It's like a yeah. very direct path with a plan with people that are setting it up for you, yep. that are guiding you along the process. Mm-hmm. It's like it, you you definitely have to get older to realize what being a priest means. It feels like a cool job when you're young. Yeah. I really appreciated that Sabrina... Uh, noticed or uh, they were positing this theory, but you know, priests are intellectually curious. Absolutely. And I think that's a big motivator for people who become priests, especially historically. I mean, they, they are the historians, you know, they Mm -hmm. were the ones that could read and write. They were, they were the ones that could pass concepts and ideas on. And and it was like, I I think for a a lot of human history, it it was just a badge of honor almost more than anything else. It was a a respectable profession. Mm -hmm. I, I studied abroad in France and part of my program was going to a language school that was actually at a Catholic university. Mm -hmm. And one of my, one of the students in my program, uh, you know, one day she said, Oh, my friend's brother actually just got like a new position here at this college. And I was like, what? she's like, Oh, he's a priest. He's training to be a priest. And so I spent the afternoon hanging out with this guy who was probably a few years older than me. I was 21 and a young priest. He was young. Yeah. Yeah. He was in training and it was kind of interesting talking to him because he, there were a lot of things about his lifestyle at that moment that I thought were amazing. One, he got to travel all over the world. Absolutely. I paid for travel is a huge part of that. Two, he had to learn, he was learning multiple languages. That's another requirement. Mm -hmm. And three, yeah, if you're like a, you know, like reading books and are really rigorous, you do that all the time when you're training to be a priest. It's also a general economic opportunity if you're growing up in serious poverty. Uh, yeah. yeah. And, and I mean, maybe more so outside of this country. We're, we're, we're really giving a lot of airtime to this priest. <laughs> and we're not really talking enough about this fucking dude who came in and just told this story about like, it's a, it is so fucking cool we that really have his, glossed over the hand jobs. Yeah, the hand job part, <laughs> it's, it's amazing. It really is. I mean, I can't imagine, I mean, as a straight guy, just can't even imagine a world where I figure out that members of the clergy have like this weird sex ring cruising. An expectation, a time, a place, a location, all of it. And you can just go be part of it. What a wild thing to discover with the sex drive of a 19-year-old. Or 18-year-old. 18-year-old, yeah. I guess religion really can be for everybody. (laughs) (laughs) The song confessional theme song was written and recorded by me, Walker Lukens, and Zach Catanzaro. That saxophone you hear was played by one Topaz McGarrickle. It was engineered and mixed by Adam Mason. Father Lonely was written and performed by Sabrina Ellis and Andrew Cashin. It was recorded at Public Hi-Fi with Jim Eno. He also mixed, engineered, and produced with assistant engineering by Grant Epley. And it was mastered by Max Lawrenson. The Song Confessional Podcast is produced by me, Walker Lukens, Zach Catanzaro, Aaron Blackerby, Rylan Kettery, 
Jim Eno, and Adam Mason. It is distributed by KUTX. If you like this podcast, one of the best things you can do to help us out is send your favorite episode to a friend or a family member. If you'd like to do more, we'd love a rating, a review, or a subscribe.